Hello everyone and welcome back for another ghost-filled episode of Dark Pages from the Old Attic. I'm Ella and always with me is Clara. Yes, and today is a little special since this is our sixth episode of our no longer just five-part podcast. Hooray! Now, don't you act all innocent and happy? You betrayed us last time. Me, the audience, the patient audience, and broke the story into two. Two weeks we've been waiting to find out what those shadowy things at the camp are. Two weeks. Now, now, calm down. First off, I'm experimenting with the podcast media as the creative person I am. And second, you liked it. You liked the suspense and a good cliffhanger. Well, you better hope it was worth the wait. Now, get on with it. Do your reading. Not so hasty. Remember, we have some information to share with the audience. That can wait until after the story. Now, read. Oh, oh dear. Okay then. Today's story is named Isle of Death, Part 2. In the last episode, we followed Eva and her friends as they went to Paelia, a former quarantine station for plague victims, and later the site of an insane asylum in the hunt for a paranormal experience. After some strange occurrences, ending with Eva leaving the group and going up in the bell tower to sort out her thoughts. Shortly after, she was joined by Simone, and the two of them observed some dark shadows around the camp where their friends had gone back to. And now we continue with that story. Who is that? Simone whispered beside me. I don't know, I said. The figures just stood there, motionless, like dark statues. I couldn't see how I would have missed them earlier. Let's get down there. We hurried down the stairs and fought our way back through the trees and bushes to the bridge connecting the two aisles. When we got to the camp, there was no sign of the figures. And though the others seemed puzzled at the way we looked around us as we came in, I could tell Simone wasn't going to tell them what we had seen. So I kept my mouth shut as well. That evening we cooked pasta and canned sauce for dinner and from the camp the bell tower was visible as a dark spire against the reddening sky. Simone sat down next to me and it was clear she had been waiting for a moment when the others were engrossed in a conversation. Looking at the others, as if to be sure, she turned to me. Look at this, she whispered. I looked down as she put a photo in my hands. It was one of her Polaroids, and I realized it was from the fort earlier this day. It was a pretty composition, almost half of the photo taken by the dark ground and the other by the light sky. The only thing breaking the perfect division was a person standing at the edge of the ground with her back turned to the camera, slightly off-center. I recognized myself. It's good, I said, and I meant it. Though I was unsure why she showed it to me. Do you see it? said Simone in a low voice. I turned the picture slightly, as if a different angle would reveal something to me. Then it occurred to me that the picture must have been taken just prior to my fall into the water and, as she had claimed in the bell tower, there were no one near me. In fact, I looked very lonely in this picture. You're right then, I said, handing her back the photo. 
there were no one. But she pushed it back to me. No. Look closer. There. She pointed, and I squinted. And then I saw it. As if it had appeared out of nowhere before my eyes. A shadowy shape right behind me. And the closer I looked, the more human it seemed. It could just be a smudge on the lens of photo paper, but it had an uncanny, tall and slender shape, and the position was unnerving. Now, I knew Simone and her skills with cameras and photos, and it was possible she had fabricated the smear somehow, maybe while the photo developed or tampering with the lens. But something about the shape made the hairs on my arms stand up, and I could feel the slender fingers digging into my back all over again. If this was a prank, it was becoming more and more convoluted by the minute. I handed the photo back, and this time Simone accepted it, looking at me with a deep frown. The people we saw from the tower? She said hesitantly. An illusion? Was all I could reply. The shape of the shadows from a certain vantage point, or something like that? I looked around at the gloomy shrubs and trees surrounding our camp. Darkness was creeping in from all directions, and since we hadn't lit a fire for fear of attracting the attention of the authorities, all the light we had was from the camping lantern. The small flame of the propane stove currently heating the sauce was barely visible. My gaze finally came around to rest on Simone's eyes. They were wider than usual and it made it hard to believe any of this was a prank against me. It only got worse later, when Jan and Steven suddenly came rushing back to the camp, having been gone for a while. We all looked up at them as they panted and caught their breaths, pale as sheets. They claimed something had tried to sneak up on them, out there before they bolted. When we asked what it was, Jan simply shook his head, as if he didn't believe his own answer people. No one lives here, do they? Miriam asked, getting up. Maybe some other campers? Peter said with a shrug. What did you see? I asked, unsure if I wanted to hear the answer. Again, Jan shook his head, sitting down in the dim light of the lantern with a thumb. We were just out there, you know, and then I noticed there were people among the trees all around us, they just stood there, not saying anything or making any sounds. But then Steven saw the one coming on us. Again, no sound. Don't know how they could do that. And then we ran. Did they follow you? Miriam asked nervously. No idea, said Steven. They aren't a drug gang or something? Simon suggested. No, said Jan firmly. When we all looked at him... He lowered his eyes. They were... They couldn't all have snuck up on us like that. We must have seen things. We we probably just spooked ourselves. This island is crazy. Stephen sat down beside him, and no one said a word for a while. None of us felt like breaking up the camp and sailing back to the main island in the dark to find a new place to stay this late in the evening. So we ended up bringing out our torches and went looking around the camp. As we forced our way through the wiry wilderness, it seemed less and less likely someone could have snuck up 
on anyone here without being heard, and we found no traces of other people. In the end, we went back, and it seemed the others were able to brush it off as a funny case of Sills book. That changed during the night. I lay awake in my sleeping bag, trying to fall asleep despite the severe unease. It was completely dark, and all I could hear was the distant sound of the water, the rustling of the leaves, and the late night breeze, and the deep breathing of Simon somewhere in the other side of the tent. It sounded like she was asleep, or near to it anyway. When I heard the first sounds of footsteps, it was as if my body had been waiting for it. Immediately I froze, my ears straining to catch the details in the sound. It was coming from outside the camp, approaching. I wanted to turn to better listen, but dared not to move a muscle. When I heard more than one set of footsteps, my unease turned to fear. Whoever was out there reached the outskirts of our camp and didn't stop, passing straight between the tents, and they were followed by more feet, shuffling along from the same direction. I hoped one of the guys would wake up and investigate, but none of them did, even as more footsteps joined the first. There had to be about a dozen of people out there, walking around our camp for God knows what reason. I noticed Simone's breath had caught, and I could see the glint of her open eyes. She didn't say anything, but I knew she had heard it as well. And yet, more footsteps came, and my fear turned to stunned dread, as I soon found myself in the middle of what sounded like hundreds of people shuffling about just outside the tent. Where had they come from? We hadn't seen a single soul all day. And why weren't they saying anything? Are doing anything but walking. I looked at the zipper of the tent flap and decided to take a peek. The sound of the footsteps outside was so loud anyway that no one would hear the slight rustle of my sleeping bag as I stretched. I could feel Simone watching me as I crept forward, moving my head close to the flap. Carefully, I grabbed the zipper and pulled it up barely a centimeter before putting my eye to the tiny hole. Just like in the tent, it was dark outside, but I could still barely make out the other tents and the glow on the horizon from the distant Venice. The bell tower was a shadow above the dark trees, looming high above us. But apart from that, the world outside the tent was an inky void. Even then, I had expected to see something. Motion in the dark or something. But there was nothing. I could hear the footsteps move right in front of my face beyond the thin veil of the tent flap. But nothing obstructed my view. Nothing. Suddenly, a light sprang from one of the other tents and I almost wished it hadn't. Either Miriam or Peter was flashing their torch out, but the light illuminated an empty camp. It swept from side to side, searching, but all it revealed was dry grass, tents and the few things we had left outside. And still, the footsteps kept trembling around us. I could feel Simone move up beside me, and I let her look through the hole while I tried to rationalize what was going on. But I couldn't. Simone barely took a look outside before recoiling. She looked at me as the light of the torch swept by our tent, briefly illuminating our faces. She grabbed my hand 
and we stayed like this for what felt like an hour or more. At some point, the sounds outside grew dimmer, and slowly, the footsteps retreated back into the trees. They were followed by an intense silence as we lay, listening. But they didn't return, and eventually I heard Jan and Steven leave their tent. Simone and I followed suit, and as we all stood there, casting the light of our torches above us, I felt the dread in me turn to a stirring excitement. There are fucking ghosts here, I said under my breath, and I couldn't believe I meant it. No one contradicted me. Simone and Miriam looked terrified, and both Stephen and Peter were clearly hiding their dread. Only Jan had a spark of excitement in his eyes that I felt too. Let's see if we can find them, he said, turning his torchlight on Simone. You should bring your camera. We should leave, said Miriam. Tomorrow, said Jan. Meanwhile, who here can sleep? No? Okay, let's go have a look then. I was on board, and when Simone got her camera from the tent, the others fell in. We stayed close together and headed out. Torches, lighting a way of spiddly shadows, twisted trees and fixed rubs. We had barely left the camp before I noticed a thin mist gathering around our feet. And as we struggled further on, it seemed to rise. When we came to the bridge connecting the two aisles, it hung all around us, surrounding the nearby trees in a veil of mystery. Our torches cast feeble cones of light through the fog as we headed over, the bell tower now lost from sight. Simone stopped to take a picture of us moving over the bridge, then hurried to catch up with us again. Suddenly Jan stopped, and we all gathered around him to see what had caused the halt. The light from the torch shone through the silvery mist at something bright under a thick old tree. Among the roots, pale bones protruded, and with a shock of horror, I saw the skull resting against an unearthed root. We stood still, watching it as the swirling mist obscured it, only to reveal it again moments later. The tree must have grown up through the bones and brought the skeleton to the surface. But how could it have been so well arranged? It didn't matter. As we watched, the jaw slid open in a slow and smooth motion, and then a loud and piercing scream erupted among us. It was the sound of 50 people howling in agony, and we all bolted. I flung myself in between the trees, pulling myself forward, as it was impossible to find a place to put my feet down. The bramble scratched at my stomach and arms, and for a moment I felt helplessly suspended in the bending and stabbing vegetation. Somehow, I managed to roll forward and landed on the overgrown path. I ran, dogging and waving to avoid the low-hanging branches and ensnaring vines, and my panic only grew when I realized I had lost the others. The scream continued behind me, like the screech of a crashing train, and it only seemed to rise in intensity and pain. My eyes caught sight of something tall on the path in front of me, and without a second glance I turned sideways and burst through a cluster of bushes the branches dragging at me as if trying to hold me back. I suddenly found myself in the courtyard of the buildings, 
and despite the scream still ringing out behind me, I stumbled to a halt. The dark doorways and windows glared at me, and there was no way I was going to enter any of them. I turned around, but something was waiting for me behind the trees. It sort of looked like a classic ghost shape, but it wasn't like a clean white sheet. It was dirty and yellowy, and its surface moved in a strange, undulating way, as if it was made of a mass of chalk balls. A bank of mist obscured it for a moment, and when it cleared again, the thing had vanished. I swept my torch around me to see where it had gone, but when I couldn't find it, I ran sideways along the outskirts of the buildings, only to find myself in a dead end with a rotting fence blocking my way. I leapt and clambered over the top, scratching my hands on the way and falling hard on the other side. The ground was strangely muddy here, and I slid down a slope only coming to a halt when I hit the tree at the bottom. The scream was echoing around me, bouncing off with nearby buildings, and I just curled up. My torch was gone, and everything was swirling darkness. The others must have left me, exploiting the distraction I had made with my mad dash through the trees, and were probably on the boat already. And here I was, with the sounds of footsteps fast approaching, and something rustling in the undergrowth, tumbling down the slope towards me. It looked like a pale rock rolling out of the mist directly towards me, and I screamed when the skull came to rest at my feet. The footsteps rushed towards me, and suddenly the skull rolled away from me, as if time had reversed. It disappeared back into the mist, just as the dark shapes came at me. Eva! Simone shouted as the light from Peter's torch struck me. She reached for me, and I let her pull me up. It's here. I hissed, barely able to get enough air into my lungs to speak. What? I pointed towards the trees where the skull had rolled off to. But there was nothing to see. Fuck that, said Simone, and we ran. At first I thought it was my senses jittering uncontrollably, but as we skirted the buildings, headed for the boat, I felt sure the ground was shaking. Or rather, vibrating. It made the soil feel soft. And with every step I took, my feet dug into the dirt like it was sand. And I could feel something hard under the surface, like branches stacked upon each other, just out of sight. We reached the dock and saw the light from the other's torches. But they weren't on the boat, but out on the fort. What are you doing? shouted Peter. It's gone, Jens shouted back, his voice frantic. Get out here! Despite his plea, we ran to where the boat had been moored. But he was right. There was nothing but the dark waves lapping at the dock. We scrambled back to the barrier and clambered across the fort, where the rest held us onto the bare isle. I noticed the ground wasn't shaking out here, but that was little consolation. As Jan and Steven ran to the far side of the octagon, shouting out over the water for help, the rest of us stared at the dark tree line beside the buildings. The scream still echoed out from in there, and everything seemed alive. The trees shook, the ground simmered, pebbles danced on the restless surface, and then they were joined by a skull, tumbling out onto the dock from a dark doorway. It swerved just before the edge of the water and began rolling back to the trees. There, 
More skulls were bubbling out of the ground and the mist, and as we watched, they tumbled together with a hollow clatter that made my skin crawl. They piled up, and I began fearing they would rush forward and fill the canal between us and come over to our tiny sanctuary like a tidal wave. And they kept piling up, slowly changing shape from a mound to something more defined, something like... Here! Jens shouted, and I noticed the sound of an engine in the distance. Everyone started waving their arms at the edge of the fort, shouting for a boat, but I had to look back. Morbid curiosity drew my gaze around and onto the skulls. The mass of them broiled and rose up as they rearranged themselves into the shape of a giant skull with huge dark eye sockets, whose voids were filled with hundreds of tiny eyes. The whole thing was studded with the empty eye sockets of the myriad skulls, and I couldn't take my eyes from them. It began sliding towards the edge of the docks, coming out of the gloom under the trees like a sliding boulder. It was coming for us. They were coming for us. And then the whole thing lit up with a sudden flash, the light filling out all the glaring eye sockets for an instant. I turned, just as Simone pulled the Polaroid from the front of her camera. Behind her, I could see the mast of the boat close to the fort, and I dashed forward, grabbing her on the way and racing for the others, who were preparing to jump onto the small craft. It was a local fisher who seemed more eager to leave the island than us. I had no idea what he said, but he shook his head a lot while we clambered on board. Somewhere beyond the fort, I could hear a splashing sound, like a cascade of rocks falling into water, and I motioned frantically to the fisher to turn the boat around. He pushed us off the seawall, and the tiny engine at the back of the boat sent us off into the lagoon. Looking back, all I saw was a dark island, slowly resenting in our wake, merging with the night. We lost most of our stuff, and it was pretty much the end of our travels. We talked about it many times since then, and with Simone's photos, there is really no explanation than what we saw was beyond science and reason. We just have to accept that this is part of our world, and that few is gonna believe us. There you have it. The shadow things were ghosts. Mystery solved. And what about the skulls? Ghosts. Playing with skulls. What else should they be doing in the afterlife? I don't know. Compose music, write stories, watch beautiful sunsets. What if they're not the sensitive or creative type of ghost? Actually, you're right. If I was a ghost, I would haunt and spook people all the time. Nah, you wouldn't. You would find a library and drink good ghost tea all day, becoming the smartest ghost on earth. What about you? Ooh, I would make tragic ghost documentaries about the hard afterlife as a ghost. Who says the afterlife is hard? I'm sure ghosts are having a great time, pushing chairs around, opening drawers. Uh, anyway, we have some information to share. A discovery, so to speak. Mm-hmm. We just noticed that 
All the stories we have read has a note apparently about where and when the stories were recorded and from whom. So, for example, today's story, The Isle of Death, was recorded on July the 3rd, 2001, in Amsterdam. And uh, the story comes from Eva Helder. <gasps> Ooh, also, there is a weird code on all of the stories. This story, as an example, is L4A. Yes, uh, but if these names are real, if these are people Agnes got her stories from, we could potentially contact them. Maybe have more information. Maybe they've seen some other stuff. Yes, maybe we can get one of them on the show. Oh yeah, they could come in and tell the story in person. And then we can ask them questions afterwards. Good, I'll look into that. See if there are any stories from someone nearby who could actually visit us. Ghost story interview. Which makes us ghost detectives. And they say dreams can't come true. Speaking of dreams coming true, in two weeks we'll be back with another story from this creepy old attic. So stay tuned and take care. Yes, the podcast will continue. So have a spooky week. And seriously, if you see shadows around your camp, leave. Don't stay. Today's episode of Dark Pages from the Old Attic was written and voiced by Zoe and Vicky Sivine. We release a new episode every other Friday, and you can head over to our Instagram at Dark Pages Podcast for updates, teasers, and illustrations for each episode. If you wish to support us, give us a rating and review on the platform you're listening to the podcast. And don't let your friends miss out on the spooky times. You can contact us on Instagram or by email at darkpagespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you in the next episode.